Hello, and welcome back to the Rediscovery Podcast. This episode is part two of our two-part miniseries on the space race, so if you haven't already listened to part one, then I'd suggest that you do, because we go over all of the background and setting for the space race that we'll be talking about in today's episode. Or, if you wanted to hear about cool rockets and astronauts, then hang around here, because I know that I would. So, we left off in 1958 last week. The United States Vanguard rocket had just exploded live on TV, several months after the Soviet Union had run a successful launch, and the US were now being mercilessly mocked by the USSR in the United Nations. So, I guess the question you have to ask yourself, if you're President Eisenhower and the American leadership, is where do you go from here? You've rushed into a rocket that has failed spectacularly, um, been baited into hurrying insignificant technology, and haven't really got anything to fall back on. What happened was that two months after the failed launch of the Vanguard, the US finally got something into space. Von Braun and the US team managed to launch their Juno rocket, known as the Explorer 1. It launched successfully, but wasn't exactly a roaring success, and the US was still firmly behind the USSR. The Explorer 1 weighed just over 30 pounds, or around 14 kilograms. It didn't have any memory or storage capacity like the Soviet Sputnik, which meant that it had to transmit continuously to Earth. It was a step in the right direction for the US, but at this rate, the Soviet Union would only leap further and further ahead over time, and the US would have been firmly left truly inferior. So, what to do? Well, what was about to happen would be a game-changer for the American space endeavours, and would shift the tide in the space race, and to some extent the Cold War itself. On the 2nd of April 1958, President Eisenhower, in a meeting with Congress, suggested that the US would benefit greatly from a permanent, non-military body to take over the American space efforts. This idea was met favourably, and in July of 1958, Congress passed and signed into law the National Aeronautics and Space Act. The law meant that the National Advisory Committee on Aeronautics turned into the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, or NASA. Now the race was really heating up, and the Soviet Union was speeding up too. The USSR was working on a series of secret missions in 1958, an attempt to improve their rocket's flight time, and try to get their probes to the moon. However, after three failed launch attempts by the Soviet Lunar E-1 probe, they switched tactics. They moved to launch the Lunar 1 probe in January of 1959. They launched successfully and had the distance needed, but only just missed the moon by about 40 kilometers. In October of that year, the Soviet Union launched the Lunar 3 successfully, which flew by the moon and took pictures of the far side, sending them back to Earth. It was beginning to come clear that it would probably be the Soviet Union who would be the first nation to get a human into space. The United States Mercury launcher was taking much longer than expected to build and test, and the doubters of the US space program were proved right on the 12th of April 1961. The infamous Yuri Gagarin became the world's first cosmonaut, translated roughly from Russian and Greek to mean sailor of the universe, when he performed a single orbit around the Earth in the Vostok 1 spacecraft. The craft wasn't flown by Gagarin himself, but by engineers on the ground, and the flight lasted for 108 minutes, and though it was not without controversy. When Gagarin re-entered Soviet airspace, he ejected from the Vostok at a height of around 7,000 metres and landed by parachute. The International Federation of Aeronautics announced that Gagarin had made the first human spaceflight, but he didn't satisfy all of the requirements for this achievement. The IFA's guidelines for a successful flight demanded that an astronaut must take off and land in his ship. Gagarin, as I mentioned, ejected from the Vostok seven kilometres above the ground, though. For their part, the Soviet leadership omitted this little fact when announcing Gagarin's success. 
The USSR space program was investigated by the IFA, and it was revealed that Gagarin did not in fact land his craft. However, the IFA said that the level of human achievement was so monumental that requiring the astronauts to land in their craft would be doing a disservice, and the achievement was allowed to stand and the guidelines were changed. The United States for their part have been developing their own program to get a person in space as well, and they managed this feat less than a month later on the 5th of May 1961. Astronaut Alan Shepard took flight in a spacecraft named Freedom 7 under the program named Man in Space Soonest, or MISS, and I'm sure that the irony wasn't lost on Mr. Shepard when the launch was announced. Now, unlike Gagarin, the American spacecraft didn't get into orbit, but it was manually controlled by its pilot. But despite their newfound success, the United States was still lacking behind the USSR in the space race. New US President John F. Kennedy didn't have the support for American space endeavors that his predecessor Eisenhower did. He had rejected NASA proposals for funding in February and March of 1961 because he thought they were too expensive and a waste of federal budget. After all, JFK was newly elected and was keen to present himself as a pragmatic and strong leader in an attempt to distance himself from Eisenhower. However, the humiliation felt after Gagarin's flight was immense. Kennedy didn't want to be seen as inferior to the Soviet Union and came to see the space race as imperative to the outcome of the Cold War at large. On the 20th of April 1961, Kennedy asked his Vice President Lyndon B. Johnson to look into NASA activities and to try and find a way for them to catch up to the USSR. Johnson returned to Kennedy, offering the idea that a crewed moon landing would be far enough in the future that they might have a fighting chance to get there before the Soviet Union did. Of course, what they didn't know was that the USSR had been secretly working on their own manned lunar project for years and would continue to work on it up until 1974. Nevertheless, Kennedy went before Congress in late May to ask for support in this project and justified it under the guise of national security. That always seems to work for US presidents. For the next two years, both the United States and the Soviet Union made progress. In February of 1962, astronaut John Glenn became the first American to go into orbit, just a little under a year after Gagarin's flight. In August of that year, German Titov became the first Soviet astronaut to manually pilot a spacecraft, the Vostok 2. And in June of 1963, Valentina Tereshkova became the first woman in space on board the Vostok 6. Now we arrive in September of 1963. Had things gone a little bit differently, the space race could have ended right here. In a speech to the United Nations, President Kennedy proposed that the US and the Soviet Union open a joint project and work together to reach the moon. Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev initially rejected the idea, but later in a report that came out in 1997, it was revealed that Khrushchev was poised to accept the proposal in late 1963. Infamously, Kennedy was assassinated on the 22nd of November that year, and Vice President Johnson assumed office. Johnson was much less trusting of the USSR and took a much more anti-Soviet approach to their relations. As a consequence, Khrushchev pulled out the idea and the race was back on. The American Project Gemini that followed would prove to be highly successful and resulted in a number of records being set, such as the first craft capable of changing its orbit, that being the Gemini 3 in March 1965, and the August of the same year, astronauts Cooper and Conrad spending eight days in space on board the Gemini 5, the longest time yet, also proving that humans could be on a ship long enough for a pilot's admission to the moon. It could be said that the US had now caught up to the Soviet Union in terms of space innovation, and both sides were now flying down the lunar tracks towards a manned launch to the moon. However, both these nations suffered huge tragedies in 1967. On the 27th of January, the crew of the first Apollo mission, Virgil Grissom, Ed White and Roger Chaffee, were killed during a ground test, when a fire started in the spacecraft. 
The craft had a purely oxygen atmosphere and the crew were unable to open the escape door due to internal pressure. The craft was found to have a host of failings, such as the pure oxygen atmosphere, inadequate safety procedures and design and manufacturing faults, and it would be almost two years before the next American piloted mission was made in order to fix these faults. Three months later, Soviet astronaut Vladimir Komarov became the first in-flight fatality when the control system of the Soyuz-1 rocket failed, causing the craft to spin out of control. Komarov was forced to make an emergency landing, but when he deployed the primary parachute and tried to descend, it failed, and when the second parachute was deployed, it became entangled on the first. The descent speed quickened and impacted the Earth at around 90 miles an hour, exploding on impact. Subsequently, the USSR faced a delay similar to that of the US, and for them it would be 18 months before a piloted Soyuz flight could resume. After the horrible setback caused by the Apollo 1 failure, the US managed to get back on track. They launched the Apollo 7 on the 7th of October 1968. It was an effort to complete the route that Apollo 1 was originally meant to do, and was a complete success. The crew on board the ship spent 11 days in total in orbit, and ran a practically flawless flight, and returned to the US in perfect working order. Soviet Union didn't have as much luck. They did manage to complete the mission tasked to the Soyuz 1 on October 1968 when they launched the Soyuz 3. However, the craft didn't get to its destination, having to come back to Earth due to a fuel shortage. They also experienced a series of five unsuccessful launches of the Zond spacecraft throughout 1967. The USSR did find some success with the Zond 5 when it was launched in September of 1968. The flight was passed around the moon and meant a successful return to Earth. On board were a group of tortoises, and the craft landed in the Indian Ocean, becoming the first successful Soviet water landing. This scared NASA greatly, as it was unknown whether the Zond 5 was piloted or not. The Americans detected voice transmissions on the Zond 5, but it wasn't until four or five days later that it was revealed that these were being transmitted from Earth to the tortoises, and not from the spacecraft. The Apollo 8 mission, launching on the 21st of December 1968, was where the Americans started to pull ahead. A group of three American astronauts became the first to leave low-level orbit, and entered lunar orbit on Christmas Eve three days later. They made a series of orbits around the moon, and also transmitted their Christmas Eve program from lunar orbit, which was one of the most watched TV broadcasts in history. NASA now had everything in place, and was ready to attempt a moon landing. The Soviet Union, on the other hand, was struggling. They suffered two failed launches of the N1 rocket in 1969, followed by a launch pad explosion in July of that year. The destruction of the launch pad was a huge setback, and meant that they were unable to launch a spacecraft big enough to carry a person until it was rebuilt. And now, we arrive at Apollo 11. Finally, this would be the mission that would put humanity on the moon. The crew were chosen months in advance, and it would consist of Michael Collins, Edwin Buzz Aldrin, captained by Neil Armstrong. The crew took off on board the Saturn V rocket from the Kennedy Space Center on Florida on the 16th of July, 1969. After a three-day trip to the moon and a six-hour wait after landing, Neil Armstrong took the first steps on the moon's surface. The event was watched by over 700 million people, over a fifth of the world's population. The crew returned safely to Earth on the 24th of July, landing safely in the Pacific Ocean, and the Americans had won the space race. And in many ways, this really was the end of the formal race, to say. NASA thought of attempting to launch more crewed moon landings, but they'd exhausted so much of their budget already, and to many it just didn't seem worth it. Also, while the US were the first to get people on the moon, they were not the only people to get stuff on the moon. Seven countries have been to the moon in some sense, either orbiting it, putting probes on it, or something else. Those are the USA, the USSR, China, Japan, 
The EU have been there in the form of the Smart One satellite, which was a joint project, India and Luxembourg, who had a little probe that piggybacked on China's Chang 5T1 missile in, in 2014. So, good for you, Luxembourg. Also, Israel made an attempt in 2019, but it failed. So if you're interested in the future of space, then look out for the Israeli Space Force, I guess. But for now, I think that'll do it. This project was really fun to do, but it was a lot of work. It is truly fascinating though, so I would highly recommend looking into it yourself because there is so much that I didn't talk about in this series. Next week's episode will be on the changing music scene from the 1940s through to the 1960s. We'll be looking at how trends change from swing to rock and roll, blues and Motown, so if you think that sounds interesting, listen in next week. In the meantime, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at rediscovery underscore pod and subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and wherever else you like to listen from.